0: The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Hello, Sunshine, and welcome to She Was The Fire. It's time to stop dancing in the dark. Let's start your fire and ignite your spark. I'm Courtney Megan, and welcome to episode 23. And actually, that's like the champion's number, isn't it? Isn't that like LeBron's number and David Beckham's number and Michael? I was going to say Blay, but what I mean to say is Jordan. <laughs> Michael Jordan. So I feel like 23 is the number for like the top sportsmen. They all choose that as their number. Anyway, moving on. Not relevant, but maybe this could be the winner episode. Who knows? Anyway, today I have another guest, which is very exciting. I haven't had a guest for a couple of weeks, but I think that today's probably going to be a bit of a different one. We're talking about compartmentalizing and how to sort of master your emotions. However, before we get into today's episode, I want to make it super clear I am not a medical professional. Neither is today's guest. Nothing that I say should be taken as medical advice. Nothing that he says should be taken as medical advice. It's just our personal opinions on things that we do for compartmentalizing. If you do suffer from anxiety and depression, please seek professional medical advice. But before we get too far into it and I get carried away let's talk quickly about my stationary launch. It is coming up so soon and I just wanted you to be the first to know about it. So instead of today me saying like, tag your friend or shout me out, what I'm going to ask you to do is go to my website, courtneymangan.com.au and subscribe to my newsletter because that way you'll be the very first to know about when my new stationery is launching, which is very soon, as I said, as long as all the deadlines are met, nothing goes wrong. (laughs) Um, And yeah, on there, my website, I'm now writing blogs about productivity. I'll also be adding stuff about recommendations, beauty tips, all that kind of stuff. Um, And yeah, it's just going to be a newsletter that I'm going to send out as well with, you know, a little bit of a sneak peek to the court report stuff. So if you like hearing my recommendations and suggestions, then come and subscribe and you'll be the first to know about the launch. All right. Before I bring in today's guest, let's do a little intro and I'll talk a bit more about why this topic, why this guest. So a number of you guys, so my listeners and also a lot of my friends actually suffer from anxiety and have sort of issues with being able to control. I guess where your mind wanders off. So I have a lot of friends who just stress over the tiniest little things and it's just, they can't stop focusing on them. And I have one friend in particular who, you know, when I'm going through a certain situation she'll, you know, it's really difficult or stressful and I'm still like just functioning and getting on with my life and it's not affecting my mood. Um, she'll be like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you getting on with your day? And you're not just like upset constantly about this, whatever's happening in my life. And I'll just say, like, I'm just compartmentalizing it and just getting on with it. And she was like, oh my God, I wish I could do that. How do you do that? So I thought, how do I do that? And maybe that's a good topic and maybe I should bring in a guest. So I thought, let's have a discussion on this. And I want to give as much value as possible. So I thought instead of bringing on someone that just has like tips on how to do it, I thought maybe I would bring in a guest that actually has to put it into practice. So it's not just like someone that's giving you like, oh, you should do this, you should do this. Maybe someone that could actually be like, this is exactly what I've done in very high stress situations and how I practice compartmentalizing on a daily basis. And I thought who would need to do that more than someone in the army. So today's guest is actually Declan Redmond who is the partner of Emily Sky and that's how I know Deck. So we've been friends for a few years. We worked together as well. And Deck was actually a commando in the army for 13 years and he's done three tours of Afghanistan. He's going to get more into what his like actual role was within the army, but from what I know, it's very serious, very serious stuff. And, you know, a lot of serious shit that you have to compartmentalize to then come home and be a loving father and partner to you know Emily and their two beautiful children so i'm going to get Dec in to talk about that because i thought like let's take something really extreme And then for me, what I'll do is I'll just talk about how I, you know, I'm working in three businesses. I own two businesses. I'm trying to start my own. I'm going through cancer treatment and all of that kind of stuff and how I compartmentalize the three businesses so I can focus on one at a time. So mine's more of a like relaxed version of it. However, I guess, you know, when I got a cancer diagnosis that was quite serious, I had to, that was more of a serious compartmentalizing situation, I suppose. But I was still able to come into work. I didn't miss any days of work. I came in, got my job done, kept you know, kept in control of my emotions because I have a team that I have to run and I was still able to function. And then even, you know, when it's very stressful times in my business, business A might be having a complete crisis and then I have to somehow compartmentalize that and focus on business B and then business C. So I will do a more sort of practical version, but I think with DEC, I think it's a really interesting outlook to see how someone that has a very stressful situation is able to compartmentalize that to sort of have a very Lax lifestyle compared to the adrenaline, I guess that would be when you're out I was gonna say on the field, but on the I don't know what what they do now. I feel like that's like what they did in World War one, the battlefield. I don't think there's a battlefield like that. I think it's just around town i I'm not sure. <laughs> Aaron's in the room today for me because when I have a guest I usually have Aaron in here usually I podcast by myself he's just laughing at me I don't know where that was going you guys know what I'm trying to say obviously is going to talk about some very serious stuff so I do want to let everyone know that there could be some discussion of um death in this um there could also be discussion of suicide just given the nature of you know post traumatic stress disorder all right so this is me just coming to you from the future I've just recorded the episode with Deck, and I just wanted to kick off with a bit of a trigger warning. So some of the topics that we discussed here today could be a little bit triggering. We did discuss, obviously, a lot of stuff that happened in Deck's army days, which does involve a lot of death and suicide. And there's also a story that involves children to do with um, being in Afghanistan. So I just wanted to sort of set that up that there is some information that could be triggering to some. Firstly, what is compartmentalizing? Because Jack doesn't need to be here for all the definitions. Let's get it out of the way early. So it's basically to separate into two distinct parts, categories or compartments in your mind. So for me, it's all about controlling my emotions and in being in control and not vulnerable to your emotions. And at its core, it's the art of focusing on one thing at a time. And it's a great tool for stress management. It's a great tool for busy people to be able to focus on one thing at a time. So as I said, Deck and I will have two very different perspectives. Um, But again, Neither of us are medical professionals and compartmentalizing is a short-term technique to use in order to get where you need to be or get through the day or get through you know an activity that you're doing at the time and then at a later date put the work in to actually deal with the stress or the struggle that you're having in your life. Pushing something aside and ignoring it forever is not what we are endorsing here today. We're talking about a short-term solution which is compartmentalizing so that you can function with what you're doing at the time of course. If you do have something that you do need to address later, you might need help with that. There's no shame in seeking help and getting advice where you need it from a medical professional. Um, and you know what? No one should ever feel shame in that because sometimes we all need help and that's just how it is. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So not everything we're going to talk about today is as dire as like a cancer diagnosis or you know what happens when you're a soldier. It can just be about that you've got a very stressful situation at work and you can't seem to stop thinking about it. So it's impacting everything else in your life. So it can just be things that are stressful to you. We all have our own degrees of stress. And often when people do have anxiety and things like that, it is the smaller things that do consume your day-to-day. So those are the tips that we're going to try and give today. Who knows where this interview is going to go? I'm quite interested just to hear like what deck's going to have to say. I'm hoping he doesn't just get on and say, Oh yeah, I was born like this. Thanks so much. Bye. I'm hoping he says we were trained through this. This is how we applied it. So we shall see, but I'm excited for this one. And, um, I hope that you get some value out of it. So let's bring in deck. All right. Welcome deck. Thanks for having me. So we're going to kick off with asking what you've been up to lately. So tell us all what you've been up to.
1: Dadding. Dad life. Yeah. It's, it pretty much, um, uh, New baby boy, three months old now, Zachy. He's a uh, he's a lot of work.
0: How different has he been from Mia?
1: Mia, the the t- totally different kids. Oh, really? Totally different. Mia was uh, Mia was way more relaxed. She'd have a feed, you could put her down. He'd be happy. She'd be happy to just lay there and play and look around. Zachy is the total opposite. He is very demanding. Very demanding. Like very
0: demanding on Emily or oh, Emily. you as well. Yeah, and
1: more so Emily. But I mean, uh, I don't have. Milk. I don't have boobs. I have no no milk. It would actually be quite handy. Um, But yeah, he's just, he's a really, he's a really codependent personality. He's, like I said, Mia was happy to just lay there or sit there and look around and while we're going about, you know, our day. Whereas Zaki, you put him down for five minutes, he'll be crying and he's a colicky baby as well. And He's got some ties in his lips that probably make feeding a little bit more difficult oh, yeah. and, yeah, so.
0: How's Mia handling it, not being the uh, star of the show? Uh,
1: not too bad. Not too bad. Like, uh, she, she she took a little bit to and, – and you'd see how she is with him now. She's yeah. much better. But when we first brought him home, when she first met him, she didn't want to borrow him.
0: Well, I mean, he was taking a lot of attention, obviously, yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, – but, yeah, she's better. She's not, like, uh, enamoured with him. She's not, like – just wants to be around him all the time. Mia sort of will do her, do thing, her thing and, then, you know, if we bring Zach out and she's playing in the toys or whatever, she'll be like, hi, Zachy, and then back to it. Like <laughs> she doesn't really okay. – she doesn't fuss over him. Whereas other kids, I know mates of mine that have kids very similar age difference, you know, their kids will be really like, you know, really enamoured by yeah, with a new baby. But, him. yeah, so –
0: Interesting. Yeah. And how's it being like having two? Is it what you imagined?
1: Uh, way harder. Way, hard. way harder. It's not
0: just twice as hard. It's like 10 times as no, hard. No, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> it's so much harder because, you know, Mia is – she's almost three now. So she's she's developing her own little personality. And she's funny. And she wants things her way. She's get to that age now where she's sort of testing the boundaries. And
0: she's so smart as well that she's, she can be a bit manipulative yeah, with we'll you guys before, as well. she's, Yeah,
1: <laughs> she totally plays – M and i off against each other and she's a bit too smart for her own good which is like you know that's what i want i want my kid to you know be able to outsmart me that's you know every parent wants their kid to to, yeah. to be super smart but yeah it is it's it's def it's definitely difficult because when you've got a million things on at once you got two kids and mia's not in daycare at the moment we're going to put her in daycare just so she can um socialize with other kids more and that should probably make a little bit more time available for us yeah. But yeah, it's, it's funny because M um, and her sister were raised by her mum, single, single mother. Mom. You know, her dad sort of skipped skipped out quite early when when uh, M and uh, her sister were quite young. And I just think, man, How single, do do single parents with kids, like two, three kids, and it's then women like, having jobs on top of that, that oh, have to go physically out I to just, work every day. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta take your hat off to them. Crazy! It's, it's, a, it's an impossible job.
0: Yeah, insane. All right. Well, with each guest when they come in, I ask for your fire starter, so a song that like gets you fired up and motivated. Yeah. What's your
1: Yeah, um, it's a song called Blackbird by a band called Alter Bridge.
0: Interesting. And what yeah. kind of a vibe is that? I haven't it's heard like of a this. rock,
1: like a not quite a heavy rock, but just a yeah, sort of like a a rock. she? How would you? How would you describe yeah. the genre?
0: Do you and Emily like, listen to the same kind of music? When yeah, you work we do out? actually. Because can be like quite aggressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, we, we do
1: have very similar tastes actually. So. Um, that's convenient the gym yeah the it helps gym. it helps because like you know especially in the car Sometimes she monopolizes the car with like top 40 <laughs> stuff, which I'm not really into. But yeah, we do have very similar tastes. Well, yeah.
0: my fire starter this week is in my <laughs> a very different vibe, uh, Shawn Mendes. So mine is In My Blood, which is a song about anxiety. And so I thought that was relevant because we're talking a little bit about those topics today. Um, so yeah, those are the two fire starters. Let's ignite today's topic. We are talking about compartmentalizing and controlling your emotions. So um, I've already sort of talked in the intro, you won't hear, Deb, but I've talked about how neither of us are medical professionals and this is just like our own personal opinions we're not giving any medical advice obviously um but i think before we get into it tell us a bit about like who you are and what you do now
1: um well i guess how this ties into the the subject you're talking about um you know uh, compartmentalizing and controlling your emotions um uh, i was in the army for 13 years and uh 10 of those years i was a commando in special operations i was a commando at second commando regiment and i've spent time um in the tactical assault group um, I've deployed to Afghanistan three times and East Timor twice and pretty much my whole sort of young adult life. I was in the army up until about 2014. So I've been out, yeah, about six years now. Shit, time flies. Um, but since I feel then. Like it was
0: actually way longer than that. I yeah, yeah. It was only six years yeah. ago. Yeah, it
1: was only six years ago. Um, I think I've
0: known you for like five years. Yeah, so well, pretty much. Yeah. I think
1: when I got out and moved up to Townsville, yeah, we met you guys. Oh, wow. And Sam's pretty much straight away within a few months of coming didn't up. didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, what do we do now? I've got a few businesses uh, fitness business with them, Emily Sky Fit, um, James Cosmetics with Sam. got a um, supplement company called Force Element Performance. Um, Lots of hats. Sorry, and dad, lots of hats, and yeah, yeah, and and fitting in, uh, and fitting in being a dad in there. Although that's pretty much taken up majority of my time at the moment, which is something I'm not complaining about at all.
0: <laughs> so how old were you when you got into the army?
1: I was, uh, I just turned twenty-one. And why did you do that? Uh, at the time, I was studying. Um, I was studying information technology. Uh, I was delivering pizzas. I was sort of a little bit lost, and uh, East Timor kicked off. Okay. And that was 99, 2000, and it was the first deployment the Australian Army had had since Vietnam, serious deployment anyway, like large scale. And I'd always sort of been a bit of a uh, military history buff, and it was something that, um, it, it was something that interested me. So, Were you yeah. like
0: a fit guy then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was into,
1: I was into boxing and wrestling in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I was training oh, a lot and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I just thought. Yeah, it was one of those things. Like, I really wanted to study. I wanted to finish off my uh, my study, but I thought this is an opportunity. This is the the army hadn't deployed since Vietnam. I'm like, okay, I want to get in on this, and I'll get in and I'll do three or four years, whatever the length of contract was, and I'll get out. And uh, whatever study I don't catch up on, um, or whatever sorry, whatever study I don't finish, I could do later. And that was what I had in my mind.
0: Did you know anybody that was already
1: No, 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 no? So I applied. I get accepted pretty much straight away, which is um, which which is unusual. Usually you have to wait sort of six months. What
0: kind of process goes into getting approved for that? Oh, it's,
1: it's pretty simple. You rock up to recruiting and you say, this is the job I want because, you know, there's different cores in the Army uh, and different trades within those cores. And I just said, I just want to be a rifleman, um, go to the Infantry Corps. And there just so happened to be spots available because Team all was was in full swing. And I got accepted and did all the aptitude testing and the – and the, uh, the initial fitness testing and whatnot. And straight away I was off to Kapurka for basic training within, I'd say three months of my application. Wow. Yeah. And then it all just, yeah, went from there.
0: And so you then went from that position to then a commando. Yeah. And so what does that mean?
1: Yeah. So I was in an infantry battalion, uh, for three years. And in those three years, I did a, a, a year down at the school of Lang's where I learned to speak Farsi and Dari. It's what they speak in Iran and, um, parts of Afghanistan. So I spent a I year feel like there. So much
0: about you, I don't know. How yeah. I'm learning so. Much. So you speak these other languages? Well, I don't
1: speak. I don't. I'm, I'm, you can understand them. Yeah, I, I actually, I can understand. When I left the school, I was there for a year. It was a year of intense training, and and I and I, I was uh, the 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 teacher that we had. The head lecturer was a uh, a professor and a doctor in linguistics, and he actually teached he he actually uh, taught. Uh, language at uh, the university. I can't remember what university it was in Melbourne, but we, we uh, at the end of the year, we achieved the, uh, the, I guess the, what's the word, the, the standard, the, of, uh, of, of being able to speak Farsi and Dari, oh, okay. of that of a university graduate. Oh, okay. So he had, he actually had, um, uh, he was the head lecturer on the university degree down there. So when I came out, I was very fluent. Like I was very fluent. Um,
0: and what countries does that sort of cover?
1: So Iran, yep. Persian, and uh, and parts of Afghanistan. Okay. And the idea was was for me to do that language course and then deploy to Afghanistan while I was in, in uh, uh, infantry battalion. But the, the 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 irony is is that the 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 dialect of the language was only spoken by like I said, a, a, a certain part of Afghanistan. Okay. And where all the Australian forces were at the time, they it's spoke Pashtun. So they <laughs> spoke a totally different language, which is a language from Pakistan. So um, so anyway, getting back to your question, um, I was at an infantry battalion for three years. Um, and then uh, to to be accepted into special operations or to be um, accepted as a commando, you have to apply. And there's an application process and then there's a... Um, uh, you do a series of aptitude tests to see if you're you know you've got basically the, um, the on paper IQ anyway for uh, applic- um, appropriate for the position.
0: And is it like you need to be like really intelligent to be in that position? Whatever no. the
1: look, for, for, for I wasn't a, um, a commissioned officer, so I was um, uh, uh, it's called an other rank. and basically you have to you have to achieve the highest uh, uh, mental aptitude okay. for any position in the army. For another rank, that is. And okay. if you can uh, reach that aptitude within, well, you're deemed to be suitable to progress to the next um, step. on in. My extra yeah, responsibility. Yeah. So you do that aptitude testing, then you do like a basic, um, uh, it's called the special forces entry test. And you do that test It goes over two or three days. And then you do selection and selection runs for four weeks. And at the end of that, if you're successful at the end of selection, you go into a reinforcement cycle, which is teaches you your core trade of being a commando. And that goes for about 12 months. And then wow. at the end of the 12 months, if you're successful in that, then you will go to a, a commando company. Do
0: a lot of people drop off?
1: Or? Yeah, it's a huge attrition rate. So oh, really? You might you might start with uh, a few thousand people actually applying at the start for the aptitude testing. And then at each gate, it sort of dwindles down. Uh, special forces entry tests will cull a lot of people because they just don't have the physical um, attributes, the physical fitness they haven't prepared themselves or whatever. And you'll get on selection and you might have 150 start day one of selection. And then at the end, you might have um, a quarter of those pass.
0: And these people who are already in the army, like they're already yeah, yeah. at a certain level. And yep. so it's extra. Okay, yep. wow.
1: So then you have a quarter of those uh, actually successfully finish the course, that go the go under reinforcement cycle, and then the reinforcement cycle goes another 12 months, 10 to 12 months, and then about half of those will fail that. So wow. with 150 people, you'd be lucky to finish with 20, 25. Interesting. Yeah, so starting from selection anyway. So it is a, it is a, a pretty sort of um, in-depth process. Um, one of the things that you sort of it, – it's blatantly obvious to you when you apply is that you are, first of all, a volunteer, and second of all, this is this will be your life. Like one of the things they said at the Special, for- special Forces um, Information Evenings, which they ran at bases all over the country for guys that wanted to, you know, get into special operations, was um, they don't expect anything less than your 100% commitment. So family comes second.
0: And why did you want to do that? Like what enticed oh, you I, I
1: guess it was just like always a, uh, a, professional, um, a, a professional goal that I had. Uh, you know, before I joined the Army, reading the – old SASR and, uh, 22 SAS different, these are different special operations units, reading books about what they'd done in the past. It always sort of interested me. So when I joined the army, it was like always in the back of my mind that it was something that I wanted to do. Okay. And it was just, yeah, i got to that stage of my career. i had done three, almost four years in the infantry battalion. I was getting tired of it. I was either going to get out or I was going to do selection. And I just thought, well, you know, I may as well do selection now because if I don't, I'll regret it later on. So yeah. Was and so what things.
0: does that role entail? Um, like how is it different from a normal?
1: Um, so, um, the, 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 I guess the role of a commando is a, is a multifaceted one. So in terms of what the, a commando does domestically in Australia, we maintain the, um, technical assault group, which is the, it's the government's force of last resort in the event of say a, um, a terrorist situation. So for example, a, a terrorist group takes a, hijacks an aircraft while uh, the tactical assault group will be tasked with saving the hostages. Okay. Um, that's something that the, the unit does domestically, but I guess uh, offshore, uh, in terms of the war fighting role, there's a lot of targeting. like my one of the jo- one of the things we did when I was a commando um, being deployed to Afghanistan was um, key leadership targeting. So we would go after uh, high-level Taliban, or insurgent, um, leadership. Oh wow. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was a totally different job than what I was in, a infantry battalion. Infantry battalion is just a lot of soldiering, a lot of patrolling, um, just basic sort of war fighting stuff. Whereas in special operations, is it's, it's, it's way more, um, like
0: more specific.
1: Very specific. Yeah. Very they send specific.
0: you in to get one job done and then get you out kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it, it, it it is that, but it also also a lot of other things. You know, there might be a mission that uh, that the, the Australian Army isn't prepared for, so the unit will have to sort of rejig to provide a solution for that, whatever it may be. Okay. So it's always changing. It's always evolving. So.
0: And how long were you in that position for?
1: Uh, nine years.
0: And almost then then almost you left years. after that, right? Then I left. Right? Yeah,
1: because I I had a, a number of injuries while I was while I was in. I had a, a knee reconstruction and I had a spinal fusion. And How with my, you, well, What with,
0: happened to make you need that?
1: Do you want uh, to tell us that? My, yeah, I, I was in a training accident actually. I was, uh, we we're doing a, a full mission profile uh, before an Afghanistan deployment and I fell off a shipping container. I was on top of a shipping container at night and I was under night vision um, and it was sort of like a light drizzle. We'd done about, I don't know, a walk in, uh, an eight kilometre walk into t- this particular target and the job had all completed, and I was providing security on the roof, which was like probably two shipping containers on on top of each other. They built a specific target out in the desert to you know uh, for us to do this particular exercise on. And I just walked off the edge. I just mis- misjudged the edge. My night vision How was foggy. How high was it? Oh, it was a good height. Shit. And I fell down, and I um, I was unconscious for probably the best part of five or six minutes. Um, but I landed on my shoulder and my head. And uh, subsequently, I severely damaged my uh, disc in my neck. But through, you know, rehabilitation processes and and, um, cortisone injections and just managing the injury, I was able to sort of continue on for another three years in the unit. And then it just got really bad to the point where I was having nerve pain down my arm, a lot of wastage in in my right side of my body. My chest had sort of wasted away and I I needed a medical intervention and they put a Basically, a fake uh, disc in my neck fused up my spine, and yeah, wow, yeah. So that was that was it for me, pretty much.
0: And are you okay now, or do you still yeah, dead?
1: yeah, yeah? I see T- like totally lifting fine.
0: weights and stuff. There's nothing wasting away in your no, own no, now. No. <laughs> no, no,
1: like I just there's certain things I can't do anymore. I can't I can't wrestle anymore. I can't do Brazilian jiu-jitsu anymore. But it just doesn't stop me from training five days a week. I still maintain a lot yeah. of physical activity. Um, perhaps if I sleep on it wrong, it might cause me a bit of dramas. But other than that, it's totally fine. Interesting.
0: So obviously that job was quite full on and you would have seen a lot of, I guess, very serious things or yep. maybe done some things as well that you would have had to, I guess, being like a loving dad and husband yeah. or whatever or partner. Yeah, It's lots of things that you really want to be thinking about or even in the moment when you're having to do these things, mm. you don't want to have to attach emotions to it. So does the army sort of look for people who can already compartmentalise or is it something that they teach or? They
1: probably do a better job of it now than they did when I first came through. Like I I did selection back in 2005 and um, they probably do a lot of a better job now of emotionally profiling particular um, personality types. Um, But yeah, it is it, it definitely is in my particular job anyway that I used to do. It's something that you needed to, there was no formal training on emotional resilience or anything like that. Um, it was just something that if you didn't have it inherently, if you didn't have it naturally, if you didn't have like natural coping mechanisms, you would burn out very, very quickly. And that's my my peers, my generation now, um, the guys that I did selection with, most of those guys are out now, very few are still around. Cause you know, we are talking, well 15 years ago when I initially got in, um, there's very few guys that are still in just because of that reason. Because you get the emotional burnout, you're constantly on deployment, and like you were saying, you're saying, you're seeing a lot of things, you're experiencing a lot of things, and it, and it was war fighting. You know, there was there was a lot of death, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of um, uh, injury um, to close mates, and you know, close mates being killed as well,
0: and also just high stress. Regardless, of high stress, of how bad constant, it was constantly, constantly as well. on
1: edge, constantly uh, being hyper alert. Um, you know, you're there, you're there, you're fighting an enemy. So it's it's not like it's uh, you're just sitting in a in a in a picket box or a security box somewhere. You're out there looking for looking for the enemy, looking for bad guys. So that involves, you know, taking human life as well as saving human life. So it is it, you, it, you definitely do need to. Well, I needed to anyway to develop those coping mechanisms um, just so you don't cook yourself yeah. in your own head.
0: And what are those coping mechanisms? Do you think it's probably um, hard to put your finger on them? Yeah, are there it, anything. You can...
1: it, it, it's hard to put my finger on any one specific thing. I, I just think, for me, what I did was, um, you know, a lot. And people know what the, the 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 term compartmentalizing something. So if you if you've seen something, you've experienced something, you've got to compartmentalize that. You have got to put it aside so you can continue on with the task because. In that environment anyway if you if your mind's not on the job and you're sort of your thoughts are wandering away well that can ultimately in worst case scenario get you killed so i would always sort of uh if if there was something that was bothering me or did bother me i would always put it to the side but i'd always revisit it later and come back to it because the way i sort of explain it to people is it's, it's like paying tax compartmentalizing things is like paying tax can only put off paying taxes so long until the tax man comes and goes where's my money you know
0: <laughs> That's a good and, analogy. And
1: compartmentalizing is the same like if you've experienced something that you find traumatic or, or disturbing or or however you sort of emotionally um uh respond to that at some point you've got to revisit it and go okay i need to get right in my head what happened there because if you just keep piling it away piling it away Eventually, it, it'll come back, and, and, and that's
0: an issue. I, I assume that a lot of people in the army with the post-traumatic stress disorder of have that they don't address those issues. Yeah, at for some sure. Point and and, then it and becomes you more.
1: know, if they don't address it, well, what happens is you, you self-medicate, you drink alcohol, you participate in sort of dangerous behaviors, um, I th- especially in the veteran community. Anyway, like a lot of people, uh, there is a post-traumatic press, uh, sorry, a post-traumatic stress problem. But also in my sort of my peer group, there's a lack of post-traumatic stress. So guys are so used to doing a job that's so high level all the time. Um, it's exciting. It's, you, you know, it's a, it's adrenaline-filled exciting work. And when that all stops, it's like, okay, I've got this massive void in my life now. I've, I feel a level of uh, emptiness.
0: Like just numb kind of Yeah, feeling. numb.
1: So how do I fill that void? Well, I fill it with drugs. I fill it with dangerous behaviours. I fill it with, you know, destructive because you're so used to
0: that adrenaline spike all the time, yeah, yeah, working yeah, on that high intensity, yeah. yeah, that would be just home like yeah. boring, I guess. Yeah, totally,
1: totally boring. And it's, I mean, that's something I struggled with when I get out was just life is boring. And then I slowly had to sort of come to the realization that it's not boring; it's just different. You've got to you got to find happiness in different things. Um, but getting back to that sort of uh, compartmentalizing things is you need to you need to revisit th- these things and get them right within your head. So, whether that's you uh, reconcile it in your own mind, or you speak to somebody, or you speak to a group of people, or you go seek um, professional help with a psychologist or psychiatrist, or whoever might the appropriate person be. But yeah. yeah, I
0: was talking about in the intro before you were here that. Uh, for me, I think that compartmentalizing really is a short term, totally short term. It's not yeah. like a long term thing. It's just something so that you can get through the moment that you're in. So obviously, I was talking about how, like, obviously, I you know work in businesses, run businesses, and then when I got my cancer diagnosis, I couldn't just like crawl up into a ball and be like, "Bye guys, I'm just crying for the rest of the day." Yeah, yeah. I had to be able to come to work and be positive for my staff, and so you have to kind of put those emotions away in your brain and then come back and at night is when I would then try and unpack them and, you know, revisit and figure out how to like come to terms with my diagnosis. Yeah. But for a moment you have to get through the day. So you have to sort of put it somewhere and I guess pull out all the emotion of what's going on in that situation and then be hyper-focused on what's happening at hand, I guess. The here and now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Because if you get wrapped up in what's going on, well, then you're no good to anybody. Yeah, exactly. Especially yourself.
0: Yeah. So are there sort of things that you found, these coping mechanisms that you've been able to use in your everyday life? Obviously, it's not necessarily life or death anymore, but you have been in stressful situations where you run multiple businesses and you've got kids and family, that whole yeah. thing going on. Do you use any of these tools in your everyday life?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I definitely do. I would say one of the one of the benefits of um, my previous life is that things generally don't um, stress me. Like I there, there, are work stresses. Like every, you know, you can't. I can't say that I don't feel stress, but I don't feel stress like I used to feel stress. Like I don't feel stress like I'm about to die or someone's trying to kill me. You know, so everything seems a lot. It's uh, it's smaller. yeah. It's like an administrative stress. It's like okay, when this need this problem needs to be solved or this needs to get done and. You know, I'll got a juggle, okay, the kids and, you know, a million things to do.
0: What about when Emily was having labour on your living room floor? floor? Yeah, yeah. yeah that <laughs> what was, kind of stress was yeah, it's that? It's funny, I,
1: I joke with mates about that. That's, <laughs> that was probably more stressful than anything in Afghanistan because at least, uh, you know, in my army life I was prepared for everything, I was trained for everything. There was nothing really that was going to surprise me. I mean, there was events that surprised me but there was nothing that I couldn't, I didn't have an answer for. Um Whereas that was yeah, definitely stressful and it was stressful in, in, in the, the, the situation wasn't overwhelming. The situation wasn't stressful. What was stressful was um, I would had a million thoughts, thoughts going through my brain about how home births and birth in general can go wrong.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, because it was one thing that Emma and I talked about that w- we didn't under any circumstances want a home birth. Because... And Emily had a quite difficult birth. Well, she did. Time. Well, she did. And and to be perfectly honest, had had uh, we had a similar situation with um, Mia at home and we decided to have a home birth with just, say, a midwife, and this is not to say to all the ladies out there saying, don't have a home birth, like, you know, you got to do what's right own. for you. Exactly. But I know if that if that had happened at home, with, uh, with Mia M um, would have been in real trouble. Real, and Mia would have been in real trouble too because there was basically, uh, she was hung up in there and there was a surgical intervention that needed to happen to get Mia out. Um, so the thing that was stressful for me was that one, I wanted M safe and two, I wanted Isaac safe. Everything else like the blood and the situation, that wasn't concerning me. I was just like, okay, these, and I didn't have the tools to make sure they were safe. So that's what stressed me, because I'm not a I'm not a medic, I'm not a paramedic, right. um, you know. If if uh, Zaki was sort of trapped in the birth canal, well, my my um, cousin, who's um, unfortunately since passed, um, he was uh, severely mentally handicapped as a result of being trapped in the in the birth canal oh, wow. for a and you know for ten minutes or so. And so all uh, these things are running through your exactly, head. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. Uh, but as soon as the um, the ambulance were there and he arrived fine just the and the it, was, it was just, all good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so back to like obviously that's an extreme mm-hmm. example, but back to your everyday life, how do you mm-hmm. sort of implement these these tools that you've learned over the years?
1: Um, I I try not to if if something if something happens like a problem arises or uh, something that someone else might get stressed over about like fire back at. Um, I always try to sort of like take a bit of a, a pause and just be like, okay, I'm not going to deal with that right now. I'll come back to it in half an hour. I'll come back to it in 20 minutes. I'll just have a think about it. I'll have a, you know, I'll, I'll just ponder on it a bit and then I'll come back to it because especially if it's like um, conflict, if it's something to do with conflict, I don't want to sort of, I don't want to sort of be um, right there firing back. In the um, agitated state. Yeah, in an really agitated the state. Or I'm just going to sort of have a, try and get a bit of a, a clear mind on things. Um, but also too, like, I think I've got a fortunate perspective on just life in general in that, um, I'm very fortunate to be here. So if I have to deal with, uh, if I have to deal with sort of administrative problems or people problems or whatever, like that's, that's the least of my concerns. And it's, it's, I guess it's, it's something it's, I guess it's like people that have a near near death experience. It's like, oh, I could have died then. Uh, so life's actually quite good.
0: So your perspective and gratitude, yeah. I guess, is and that's not, playing a part.
1: Yeah, and that's nothing you can really teach somebody. It's yeah. like it's 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 through life experience. It's um, it it's through experience that you 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 are able to sort of uh, change your mind mind state on certain things. And I, I think that's probably a big thing too for people to, uh, in terms of um, coping with problems or whatever. It's mind state is a huge thing. Uh, I, was, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who I was in the army with for a long time only a few days ago and he's really struggling with certain things and he was telling me about how you know his, his, his kids are stressing him out because he'll come home and his kids have shit everywhere and toys everywhere and they're drawing chalk all over the driveway and he comes home and the house is a shit fight and I'm just like how about you look at it from this, this um, perspective man like you come home you've got two healthy kids they're happy they're playing. They're drawing on the driveway with chalk and whatnot. Like that's a good thing.
0: Sometimes people we'll need a reminder. Yeah,
1: you know, it's just I. I I'm a big believer in like, um, if if you have a problem with something, it's 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 nothing you can't solve with how you perceive a situation or how you how you approach a situation. I'm exactly. a real big believer in that.
0: So if somebody is struggling with sort of letting their emotions gain the better of them, or I know I myself don't suffer from any anxiety, thankfully, but I know with my friends and family that do, they seem to get really fixated on the very small things and they just can't seem to move past them. Yeah. And it's just like I wasn't even thinking about that anymore. I've moved on and they're still stuck on it. What kind of advice do you have for someone? Like how do they put those things aside and then focus on what they're doing?
1: Well, I guess it it goes back to that sort of the – state of mind how you how you perceive a situation because your anxiety is coming from how you perceive a situation um i've got a lot of friends that suffer from anxiety and the anxiety that they suffer is from being uh, hyper alert all the time too much um that sort of the studies are now showing that um particularly in the special operations community guys that suffer from anxiety it's not anxiety because they're scared of a situation or whatever. It's, just, it's like a, uh, a chemical imbalance in their brain which will trigger that fight-or-flight response for no particular reason. Like you could literally be sitting there having a coffee and then all of a sudden you have an anxiety attack because your brain's just like triggered in a certain way. And I guess people, people will sort of have a, almost a watered-down version of that if, if they come across something that um, creates a level of, of anxiety it just sort of it, it becomes all-consuming and it's and it just it gets back to how you perceive the situation and like you were saying you have friends that have uh, anxiety it's like oh, I wasn't even thinking about that yeah but for them they're just hyper focused on that one thing I think it's like your um, your mind is like a muscle that you need to train it and if you see yourself heading towards um, a sort of a, 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 a anxiety response, you need to be able to identify that and go, oh, okay, I, I'm heading that direction. I need to just pull myself back. Yep. And you need to sort of like create those behaviours that, okay, uh, I'm not going to get hyper fixated on this thing because I know it's going to ruin my day or it's going to ruin my week.
0: What do you think the difference is between, you know, people in that you were working with in the army that have, you know, now obviously had... Very bad mental health from the situation they were in compared to you. Like, how do you think that you maybe handled it differently, or that they could have done things different in order to get to the place you're at?
1: Um, it's funny because we're just talking about anxiety. So I'll get back to you what you're saying, but I just I just thought of something. Then I was before I came here, I, I got my haircut, and I, I was and this just getting back to the anxiety part. Well, not so much anxiety, but sort of that that sort of hyper alertness thing. I was getting my haircut, and there was a guy who just dropped his bag like at the front, two bags, two black bags at the front of the. <laughs> Hairdresser and just walked off.
0: Sent off like terrorism alarms. Yeah, too. And,
1: and I'm telling you, like I said to the guy who was cutting my hair, I said, Did that guy just leave his bags there? And he goes, Yeah, I think so. I think it's probably just like the homeless guy that lives in. I'm like, Are you sure? Are you sure? Because like in my mind, when bags are dropped, like it's like a bomb in the back. An explosion follows. Like, you know. So I was sort of like, not getting anxiety, but I was just like, I'd really like to know where that guy is. It was like a trigger point, yeah. Fee, exactly. Right? Um, so that was like and and in my mind I'm like, okay, you are being silly now. Like you just need oh, to relax. You know, just yeah. walk it back, you're fine, you're just getting your hair cut. Um So then you were compartmentalizing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, love yeah, that. Just yeah. happened. <laughs> just yeah, recently. <laughs> um sorry, I lost what what is what was the question you had? What's the difference between you and people oh, okay. um, in the army
0: that have had, you know, bad outcomes?
1: I think it's purpose and direction, having purpose and having a, having a direction. Um and I think that's for anybody. Any like uh, um, this isn't sort of uh, exclusive to just um, um, people from the military or leaving or veterans. I think if you don't have any purpose or any direction, then you just sort of you can you can spiral you can spiral um, into um, into depression. Uh, for me, when I was uh, leaving, Emily and I had just started the I guess the original iteration of the Emily Sky Fit business. So my my whole my whole day um, was consumed by that. Um, running that business with them. So I had purpose. If I didn't have that, uh, I would have looked for something else because I, I, I knew that I needed something to focus on because I'd seen it with other guys that got out that didn't have anything to focus on. They just sort of spiraled out of control. And that's when all, all the bad things start to sort of materialise, the, the excessive drinking of alcohol and the medicating and all that sort of business. I'm very fortunate that I don't have any any uh, emotional baggage or any emotional dramas for anything that I experienced um, in the job.
0: And do you think that's sure. because you were acknowledging it and dealing with it at the time rather yeah, definitely. than just pushing yeah, it down a, and disconnecting a, from it? Yeah,
1: there's a level of that. Like there was a level of the the, the disconnecting um, and dealing with it when it when it was there. You
0: Pay your tax. And also
1: pay the tax yeah, and then um but also too like having something that you know well what's what's the saying um uh idle hands are the devil's work or what's oh that? yes i, I yes. probably just it's something t- like that i, I know I totally trash that that <laughs> saying but yeah along those lines you just gotta keep busy you get know, whether it's whether it's uh physical activity or reading or finding a hop whatever it is idle hands are the devil's work something like that. anyway yeah but yeah you get my point yeah yeah
0: do you think that, um, because I think sometimes people think that compartmentalizing is taking all the emotions out and disconnecting it, but for me, it's also about once I've done that, recognizing the emotions that it's brought up and really like being hyper aware of like how I'm feeling and what my trigger points are and all that kind of stuff. Do you yeah. feel like that's something as well that you've done?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess a good example of that is just sort of come to my mind that it was a there was a um there was an incident in Afghanistan um. Uh, back in 2009, I think it was, we were looking for this particular guy, and we were, we were going through this village, and we couldn't find. We, it, we hit. It was called a dry hole. It's just a, the um, terminology for a, a target that there, there was no one there. So we, we hit a dry hole, and we're, we're on our way out. And this old guy sort of flags me down, and it just so happened that I was walking with the, um, the platoon medic behind me, and he's, he's flagging me down, and he's sort of like really flustered and whatnot. And we had an interpreter attached to our platoon, and uh, I called the interpreter up, and I said, "You know, ask this guy what's going on." And he said, "Can you follow him into his compound? His um, his son's really hurt." I'm like okay, so we walked into this guy's compound, and this boy came out, and I would say he's probably five or six years of age, and he was covered in like a white sheet, and you could see through the from the white sheet that there was like. Um, it was covered in, like, dry blood and, like, bodily fluid and all that sort of stuff, and it was sort of, like, stuck to him. And I'm just like, yeah, this is really – this isn't good. So I called the medic forward and we were like – the kid was just petrified because he's seen us. they these big guys with beards and guns and, you know, cam cream all over our face, sort of sc- scaring the shit out of the little kid. So we tried – I tried to calm him down the best I could, but um, the the medic came forward and was – and just having a look at what was going on. And the, while this was all going, the, the interpreter had explained to us that um, the Taliban had come to this guy's house <clears throat> and it was just before the winter and in, the winters in Afghanistan are really bad. So if you're out in these rural areas, we're out in the middle of nowhere. If you're out in these rural areas, you've got to, you've got to prepare your food for the winter because you're not going anywhere. If it snows in, you're there. So he had like a number of months worth of food for him and his family. And the Taliban came along, um, it was probably two months beforehand, and said, hey, look, we're going to camp in your your compound for a few nights. We want you to feed us. And he explained to them, look, if I feed, it was like a dozen fighters there, Taliban fighters. If I feed you for the however long you going to be, I'm going to have no family, food for my family. Like, I can't give you the food. And uh, they didn't want to borrow it. They, you know, they demanded to be fed. And he's just like, you, you guys need to leave. So... There was a fire, a cooking fire going on in the middle of the, uh, the compound, and they just grabbed his kid and threw his kid on the fire. So his kid was like burnt from head to toe because there's no medical facilities out there. It's you literally, it's, in parts of that country, it's like going back in a time machine. It literally is. It's like going back in the biblical times. So they've got no medical treatment. And this poor kid, five or six years of age, um, he, was, he was burnt from head to toe. And like his skin, it's just like, it's like, you know, like melted soap. Like he's, he's covered oh covered in burns from head to toe. So we were like, we were um, inspecting his his, his injuries um, and he was screaming. I just remember him screaming. And like at the time I'm like, this is really bothering me. This yeah. is really bothering me. Like this kid, his like, you know, his, his butt cheeks had been fused together from the injury, the burn injuries. He was oh like his poor little... Guy's body was effectively just melted, and um, I remember like he was screaming because he, he, he was scared of us, but he was screaming in pain too because this was like anyone who knows anything about burns, you get burns to a certain percentage of your body, it's it's bad news. Like yeah. it's sixty percent of your body, it's like there's a highly like high likelihood of you dying. This kid was head to toe in burns, covered, and so I remember just like grabbing a packet of M and M's out of my pocket from one of our ration packs, and I put him out in my hand like this and his eyes just lit up and he started smiling. And I just thought, man, this is like, this is, this is crazy. This kid, like, I just wanted to boil my eyes out yeah. because this kid is just like literally melted. Um, and that's, that's something that going back to, we ended up getting him medical treatment and got him sent to Taryn Kaut for further, further treatment. But that's, that's, I mean, to this day, that was almost a decade ago, over yeah. a decade ago. It's, you know, so in that in that moment in time, I had to come up, compartmentalize it. I'm like, I can't. I have to. I have to be on task. I have to you stay can't sit focused. There and
0: cry about the kid. Yeah. Exactly,
1: and I'll deal with it later. And I did deal with it later. Like I talked to other guys on my team, and you know they were equally as sort of you know horrified as I was. But then you just sort of work it out in your own mind, you know, because um, if you just carry that baggage around with you forever, it will just like eat you. It'll just eat you up. And also having your
0: own kids as well, it would trigger all those kinds of things And I'm working with guys that
1: are older guys, generally speaking. You know, the average age was guys in their 30s. So a lot of them had kids as well. So, yeah, um, you just got to pay that tax. Yeah. You got to come back to it. You got to revisit it and you got to like get it right in your own head.
0: Exactly. Mm. All right. Well, I'm just going to bring it to just some general kind of everyday stuff because obviously not everybody has quite the – the experience that you have that they're, they're dealing with. Yeah. Obviously everybody's got their own thing. We're not saying one's worse than the other. No, but no, of you course, know, no. obviously things are, you know, different for everybody. But there is this sort of story that I'm I'm actually going to be going through with my staff tomorrow. So Aaron, who's the producer here, just ignore this story because it's for my staff tomorrow. But it was an interesting video that I watched on YouTube. And I think it plays into a little bit of something that you were talking about. And it's like this professor goes up in front of the class and he says like we're going to do an exam and there's a piece of paper on everybody's desk and he tells them to start. And as they turn up the paper, it's just a blank sheet of paper with like a white spot, sorry, a black spot um, in the bottom sort of left-hand corner of the piece of paper. And then he just says to everybody, okay, like, tell me what you see here. Mm-hmm. And so everybody starts to say like, oh, like a small dot in the left-hand corner or someone's like, like oh, a black spot spot that, you know, starts describing the black spot and everybody describes the black spot. And then the professor sort of goes through and just talks to everybody about the fact that nobody focused on the white yeah, and everybody s- yeah. focused on the small black spot. Yeah. And that it's the kind of thing that we do in our lives mm-hmm. where when we have medical issues or financial issues or relationship problems, or just like these stresses that we focus on the like, one dark thing and not like all the other light that's around it. And I thought yeah. that was like a, like interesting sort of, so I'm making my stuff watch that YouTube video tomorrow yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll yeah. make them do the like little <laughs> dot thing and see what they mm. do. But I thought that was interesting for the story that you kind of said that you have to focus on the good and be grateful for the stuff that you do have and not focus on all the the little bad things. Yeah. Um, but just for some sort of more tangible tips. Cause obviously I sort of do this compartmentalizing stuff in my everyday life. I, you know, I run three businesses. So if there's a crisis going on with one, I have to kind of focus on the other as well. Yeah. Um, and one thing when I'm feeling really stressed, music is like a big thing for me that yeah. really calms me down. Yeah. And I kind of have certain songs that get me in the zone to like focus and I know some people meditate. I don't mm-hmm. know if you do any of do you meditate or anything. Well, Are you a meditator? Exercising is my meditation. Okay. Yeah, fair. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Music is mine. I can't yeah. seem to switch off when there's no silence. Yeah. It's just my head then. Um, and then another thing that I like to do is like every time like a negative thought comes into my head, I try to replace it with like two positive ones mm. to kind of give myself like a bit of perspective. Um, and then, yeah, just always that being aware of stuff. I found that writing things down is really good when I'm having a problem with something that I sort of like try, and not necessarily journaling because I do it so inconsistently, but if I am stressing about something, I try to write it down and nut out like what the base kind of thing is. Yeah. Um, and then I guess being really hyper-focused. So again, it's like a time blocking tip where it's like, all you do is focus for the next 30 minutes on what you need to, and then move on to the next task rather than having to like think about all the other stuff that you've got going on. Yeah. Doing things that make you happy, I guess, would yep. be like something that would be a good tip. Knowing your bro- your boundaries and your triggers, I think, mm. would be something that you've talked about. Yeah. Do you have other things that you know, like obviously a man dropping a bag at a front door? But do you <laughs> have um, other things that are like triggers for you, like uh, when you first got back, where they like you know, in the movies you see like a gun uh, car backfire is like a yeah, that's no. always a key thing that they no, have in the no, movies. No, so. any
1: dramas that sort of stuff. No, I I, I think and. Something that I do, and I, th- I I don't do it because it's a problem for me. I just do it because I think it's a good thing to do, and I think a lot of people um, today should also do it. Is like some form of digital detox, get off your devices, get off your computer, like especially on the weekends. I I make now I make a really really conscious effort not to be checking my phone or whatever. Um, and just spend time with them. And is that the like kids. living in
0: the moment more kind Absolutely. of thing? Absolutely.
1: And I think like you know you're talking about like um, hyper being hyper focused on a problem and anxiety. And I'm I'm really convinced that it, it comes back to the it comes back to the the way we live now and how so much of it is about social media. How much so much of it is is about I mean, how many how many. This is social media in this world is, is is your bread and butter. Yeah. How many people do you know live a certain way on social media but in real life are totally different? Most people. Most people. Yeah, so, literally
0: the episode that's aired today for my podcast is having a healthy relationship with social media. Yeah. And I talk about how, like, people only put on social media exactly what you want them exactly. to see.
1: Exactly, exactly. And this is the thing is that, you know, um, comparison is the thief of happiness yeah. thief Look of at joy. you and your sayings today, hey. Jack. I <laughs> got that from Em actually, Em told me that one. Because but, I was
0: saying that even people like me and Emily, we still don't put everything, we are pretty like honest with what we yeah. put out there, but I even listed last week all the things you don't see that like still happen to me that yeah, I don't sure. put on there. Yeah, know, that,
1: yeah, and I think a lot of people's problems stem from um, looking at other people's social medias. And I know for me, like, I, I can look at something on social media and if it bothers me i'm just like yeah whatever I'll scroll past i don't get emotionally invested in it i, I don't get envious of people i don't get jealous I just, it's it is what it is but i get off because it takes my time it's taking my yeah. time like if i'm on there for half an hour of the day i'm like well that's half an hour i could be doing spending with my kids or doing or some, something, or training more productive. Or something more productive so i think um people need to re- be responsible because a lot of the, a lot of people's triggers are triggers they're allowing in? Yes. You know, so, for example, like you, um, um, you know, you want to lose weight, you you want to get fit, you want to get healthy, but all these fit people that you're following on Instagram are triggering on you. Why are you following them on Instagram? Why are you looking for their stuff? Like, it if, yeah. if, if, makes you feel shit about yourself. You feel, if anything makes you feel shit about yourself, like no one's no one's gonna say you shouldn't feel a certain way. You feel the way you feel. But if something is making you feel a certain way, you need to get rid of it. It's toxic. So okay. that's, a, that's a big thing, I think, uh, for people. They just need to, like for me anyway, just get off your devices. Digital detox is, is a real thing. Yeah, like it
0: definitely is a big trigger for a lot of people social trigger, media.
1: Because, I mean, even if you look at kids, there's, there was a study done recently on kids, like teenagers, between <clears throat> the rates of suicide in kids between, what, 11 and 16 is never been higher. Yeah, did you, that, did you
0: say that? You seen that social media documentary? That, yeah, yeah, crazy, isn't it? Never been higher.
1: What do you think that is? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, and that's not exclusive to just kids. That's 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 through um, uh, all the uh, demos, right up to you know people in their forties and fifties. I'd imagine yeah. everyone's have everyone has way more emotional problems now than they've ever had.
0: Yeah, exactly. So,
1: and it all comes back to one thing. I think is a, is a big key factor.
0: And I think anxiety does seem to be more frequent than it was in the past. Mm. One, in the past, it probably did go undiagnosed a lot. Obviously, people are more aware of it. However, we also like, you know, for our parents, for example, they kind of went home and they had the ability to switch off to some extent, whereas we don't really have that as much now because like the media is constantly going, you know, your phone's there, you can pick it up at any time. Whereas before, like our parents had to literally go to work to get their email. They didn't have, you know what I mean, all that stuff that was at their fingertips and because everything is so... 24 7 it causes that anxiety because you can never really switch off from anything
1: yeah. and a, a lot of that anxiety probably stems too from things that you want to achieve that um you know you need the bigger house you need the fancy car you need this you need that and it's like they're all great things like don't get me wrong like I love beautiful houses I like fast cars <laughs> but that's not gonna that's not gonna take my happiness yeah if I don't have it you know that'll come in time and people people want everything here and now they don't want to wait they don't want to put in the time and the effort and, you know, they don't want to say to themselves, "Oh, in five years' time I'll have that. So a lot of anxiety stems from them wanting something here urgency, and now. yeah. They need it now because Instagram tells me I need it now because there's another guy. There's
0: Everyone tw- else I follow has There's a
1: 22-year-old the that, yeah, there's a 22-year-old that's driving a Lambo and I'm 23, shit, I'm getting old. You know, I need to get, yeah, so.
0: But that 22-year-old just rented the Lambo and pretended he exactly. had it on Instagram. Exactly. Yeah. Um, another thing that I wanted to quickly touch on was that I have had a lot of my friends who I'd said to them a bit about the compartmentalizing thing and they had just said like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I have anxiety so I can't. And I think that there's a lot of that kind of like giving up before you've even
1: yeah, totally. started
0: with yeah. things these days yeah. as well, or it's yeah. like, you know, why not try it? Like,
1: Well, it's just, it's a cop out, I think. I, it, you, you, you can't say you can't do something if you don't actually try it. Like yeah. I can't compartmentalise because I have anxiety. It's just like it's like saying like I can't lose weight because of I don't like exercise what I, I mean that's probably a bad analogy but you know what I mean? Like how, how do you know you can't do something unless you try it, yeah. unless you put effort into it? Like if you try for two months and you still can't do it, then maybe you could say I can't do it or I struggle to do it because of xyz but yeah
0: but i think sometimes like your thoughts become your reality so if you keep telling yourself i can't compen- can't compartmentalize i can't you know pull myself out of this focus you of course you're gonna not be able to well, because it's, you're it's telling a, yourself it's no sci-
1: it's a scientific fact how positive reinforcement can change the neural pathways in your brain to perceive situations Yeah, exactly like it's not just sort of pseudoscience that positive reinforcement what do you, you know manifest i'm not a big one for manifesting like i think there's a lot of lot of manifesting that's just like just absolute bullshit, but there is something to say of like visual, visualizations and and positive reinforcement. Like all these all these ultra high achievers, do you honestly think these ultra high achievers are the way they are because they've said they can't do something?
0: Yeah, no, definitely not. And yeah. I think even with the like. I'm not super into the manifesting thing, and mm. I like something that's a bit more like I can control Tangible, it myself. Yeah, yes, yeah. but I think that there is something to the fact that, like you know, if you wake up every day and you're like, "Oh, it's going to be a bad day," you're kind of looking for Restarting. these bad things, and then you're kind of attracting them.
1: Totally, days already but off to a bad start. Every morning
0: I wake up and I fill up my gratitude journal, and I'm like actively looking for things throughout Mm. the day that I can write tomorrow because I'm like, I need to know, you know, and so you're looking for all these positive things and it kind of attracts more of those things into your life and you can, you know, recognize them more because you're on the lookout for it. But if you're always looking for bad stuff, you're expecting bad stuff, then Mm. that kind of is like a magnet to you almost. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how that works. The other thing is also that I wanted to give a tip on, grouping emotions together in your mind sometimes. So mm-hmm. like I think for me sometimes when I find that I'm like stressed or um, I'm trying to control a situation, it often comes back to the one emotion of like me and trying to be perfect all the time. And so sometimes I'm able to like group that together in my mind to be like, Courtney, like it's progress, not perfection, Mm. move on past it. Because I get a lot of people in my DMs because I'm trying to start like my own side hustle at the minute deck. I'm not sure if you're aware, but I'm harping about and about on Instagram (laughs) doing my own stationery. And so um, I had a lot of people because I've got very short timelines because I wanted to get it out before Christmas because that's the ideal time. I also want to make sure I get it out before Black Friday hits, which is a very big time of year around this business. And I can't can't be adding anything into that mayhem. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so I have like very tight timelines and someone was saying like, how do you like do put something out you're not 100% happy with because of your timelines? And yeah. it's like, but if you do that, you're never going to put anything
1: out. Yeah, there's no such thing as if, perfect. Yeah, if you're yeah. waiting for
0: it to be 100% happy. So I have to check myself all the time be like, is this perfection, Courtney, like trying to like sabotage myself? Am, yeah. am I 80% happy with this? Am I willing to sell this to someone? Then it's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, you totally. have to kind of like...
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if the biggest uh, software company in the world, Microsoft, can release versions of Windows that are <laughs> dog shit but still get it out there because I need to get something to market, or well, yeah. I think, you know, other people are fine in that. Like, it used to be something that Em really struggled with was perfection. Yeah. Everything that left, um, everything that she put online, not online as in like a social media, but in terms of the product and the… And, uh, like the programs. The programs had to be perfect. Like, and that's in her own words. It's like, this has to be perfect. And there's no such thing as perfect. And perfect, if you if you aim for perf- perfection, nothing will ever get done. One thing that I really try to sort of like convey to you, especially in, in my military um, life, is that if you're planning for a mission, no mission is ever going to be perfect. There's always going to be room for um, things to go wrong. But if you're aiming for f- perfection, you never get out the door. You'll never get anything done. Yeah. So at some point you're to go, okay, this is good enough. And that's not to say that you're good enough is shit. It's just it is good enough for now. Like I need to get it done. Yeah. At some point. Um, we have to then,
0: balance not being able to move forward and yeah. moving forward and it's still being good enough yeah, to get you there. Get you know, know what thought, I mean?
1: That, that uh, decision-making paralysis where you're sort of like you're going in circles because everything needs to be absolutely perfect. Um, yeah.
0: All right, I think that we've sort of gone into all those tips enough there and funnily enough, my other su- um, subject that I sort of ask all my guests is what is your attitude of gratitude, which you've obviously talked a little about gratitude kind of today. So what is your like main thing that you're grateful for at the minute, Deck?
1: I'm a family. I'm just – I'm the richest man in the world. I've got the, the best family, got amazing kids. I'll hang amazing, out with your amazing, family on the weekend. Uh, what kiddies. Um, amazing <laughs> partner. I just – yeah, I, it, that's that's my world right now. So and every – like – you will never hear me whinge about like life in general, uh, even if it's if it's um, in you know inverted commas a shit day. A shit day is still a great day because I, I have my family and I live in the you know, probably the, the best spot in the world right now. And yeah, yeah, it's 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 not hard for me at all to be to be grateful for the life that I've got at the moment.
0: That's nice. Yeah. All right, and the final thing is what gets you fired up, Deck. Fired up. What are you just, passionate about? Uh,
1: you know, I'm just I'm I'm passionate about life, and that's like that sounds like probably really cheesy and corny, but uh, I'm 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 actually fortunate to be here because uh, in my uh, former uh, military days there was there was quite a few close calls, and um, you know unfortunately some of my good friends were, were killed overseas. Um, I, I just I'm very fortunate to still be here. And I I really I, I really am grateful for every single day that I have. Um, So just just life, life, life is good. Like it really is. I mean, it's shit at the moment for a lot of people with COVID. But, but there are
0: silver linings everywhere.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and you always you're never going to go through life without those sort of those bumps. All
0: right. Um, that's pretty much it. I think we're going to finish with this week's thought of the week and it is from Deepak Chopra. You are not a prisoner of your thoughts. You have the ability to control what you are thinking. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's app. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, I'll be back next Tuesday with a new app, but in the meantime, remember that your thoughts create your reality and protect the skin you're in. Follow me on Instagram at Courtney Mangan and that she was a fire. Where can we follow you deck?
1: uh what is my instagram that show, it shows you how much i know about it's like my, the
0: reverse of your name it's like inverted
1: Rec Deadmond. <laughs> yeah 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 Man, let me i'll just double check that because <laughs> when i was in the army we weren't allowed to have social media
0: oh really no we
1: weren't allowed. And you I've can't just,
0: be insta-storing out like Yeah. That kind of so Rec
1: Deadmond, r-e-c-d-e-d-m-o-n-d yeah there you go give him a follow there yeah.
0: all right and don't forget to sh- subscribe and share thank you bye